Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Check-In Podcast. Over the past few weeks, I've been lucky enough to get the chance to speak to a number of travel advisors from all corners of North America, all with different business models and different experience levels. There's been a lot of different threads of those conversations, but there really has been one commonality that so many of these conversations have shared, and that's that all of these travel advisors, no matter how experienced or inexperienced, no matter where they're located in in a city or, or out in the country, all of these advisors are dealing with one of the biggest boom times for advisors in recent memories. Clients and bookings and consumer demand all exploding despite obstacles that still very much exist for the consumer. I had one advisor who I've known for a while in particular tell me that she has seen nothing like what she's experienced now through her decades of, in the industry. Words that I really couldn't have imagined coming from an industry luminary just a few years ago. It's really been one of the more special times I've experienced in the travel industry, and it's been very well-deserved for all stakeholders, especially after the last few years we've had. My guest today is Joshua Bush of Avenue 2 Travel, who joined me to talk about the state of the business right now. Joshua is one of the voices in the industry who I really think has the pulse of the luxury segment in particular. And I wanted to hear about how demand is impacting Avenue 2's advisors, what destinations are gaining market share, how the low supply and high demand is impacting bookings, and how long he expects this quote-unquote golden age of travel to really last. As part of the conversation, I was also fortunate enough to be able to hear a little bit about Avenue 2's history, in particular how Joshua's family built the agency, then eventually successfully pitched him a career move from consumer finance to travel. We spoke about the legacy he's really tasked with carrying on now and why Avenue 2 has not only leaned into, but has taken a leadership role in the industry when it comes to social and environmental responsibility. Avenue 2 has already passed the assessment phase of B Corp certification and, as you'll hear in the conversation, is well on its way to becoming the first official B Corp certified travel agency. I really love all getting the chance to talk to Josh, no matter how brief or lengthy. He's one of the most insightful people in the industry and someone I know others look to for leadership and commentary. So it was really a privilege to have him on. I hope you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did. So let's check in with Josh. Morning, Dan. Morning, Josh. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, a little rainy here, but uh, you really can't complain, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's kind of the, the weather these days, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't have that bad of a winter here in New York, which I'm sure you experienced the same in, in Philly. Yeah. Um, so it's, I think we've been pretty fortunate, but you never, I guess you never know what's going to come in like March or April. Like things could really take a turn for the worse pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is it in, in like a lion out like a lamb type of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, thanks for taking the time to talk. Well, thank to you. Me. I, I I always appreciate coming and sitting down and talk, chatting with you. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know how busy things are for advisors now. I the conversations I've had over the past month or so, it's just like uh, people are like dumbfounded about how busy they are, how much business they're getting. So I always appreciate people sort of lending me some of their time, which I know could yeah. be used for for other things. No, uh, I, I'm absolutely happy to. Um you know, just, just jump, jump on a call at any time and, yeah. and chat. I mean, this is what we do. So I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to start off and asking you about 
how things are going now. Because I know we spoke a couple times over the last year. Uh, I was at your collective last year, and I know things were looking pretty optimistic then. But um, I had a, a couple conversations yesterday, and, and one travel advisor who who's been in the business for a long while said she's never seen anything like sort of what's going on right now with, with consumer demand for travel and and with the volume that's going on, not just with her but with new ICs. Like it, it seems incredibly optimistic for everyone right now yeah i would i would agree with you dan the the future for the travel industry remains bright um the the demand that we are seeing from consumers is like no other that i have seen in the, you know the 20 years that i've been involved in, in the industry and i think that the, there's there's a number of reasons for that and and the the first of which is it's we're still in this post pandemic wave of of high demand um, and in many cases, it has to do with scarcity and lack of availability of, you know, specific properties. So one of the trends that, that we're seeing that, that I've talked a lot about have been clients who come to us and, and let's say they haven't traveled in a little while, or they even have been traveling throughout the pandemic and, and they want Italy this summer. Uh, and yeah. it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the Amalfi Coast is, is sold out. Um, and, but one of the things that they will say is, well, when is it next available and when does that availability coincide with my own availability? Let's go ahead and, and book that now and get that on the books. But now I need some place to go in the meantime. Yeah. So in the past where we might have had you know one or two big trips uh, booked for clients, now we're seeing three, four, maybe even five trips booked for big clients. Compounding that, has been that you know you think about that early adoption curve of people that go and get that that new iPhone every year. Well, those have been our intrepid travelers throughout the pandemic. Now we're at the very tail end of that adoption curve of people that were regular travelers um, in 2018, 2019, but they've been sitting on the sidelines and now they're ready to start traveling again themselves. They've got the confidence to to venture back out in the world, and it's an entirely different marketplace. Um, so one of the things that also creates a, a headwind for our travelers is some of these customers that are coming and saying, what do you mean this is $2,000 a night? You know, in 2017, it was only $800 a night, um, that sort of thing. So that that just that bent that demand of, uh, again, having lack of availability in a lot of the top places that, that we have have had in the past um, has made things a little bit difficult. Yeah. One of the other big challenges is, is that we're seeing that it's taking four or five times as long to do the same simple task today as it did in, in 2019. And a lot of that has to do with staffing issues with some of our suppliers. Like not everybody is 100% back. And while they might have staffed up and put people in those roles um, that, that were, were once not there, it takes a long time for people to, to get up to speed, like it, to, to, to gel as a team. Even those staff members are, are they're just not confident. They, they're not where they need to be. But I think one of the most frustrating things that I hear from my advisors is, is that they're on hold and they're on hold to make do something simple like a final payment or that they need to add insurance to a booking or or something along those lines. And um, when there's so much volume that's coming in and there's so much business to be had to be able to not get back to our customers because we're, 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 we're trying to do simple things that could have either been done, you know, online um, with with you know, just a, a simple payment form um, or what have you. It's it's trying to talk to a person and not having that availability. Yeah, and I know, I think I've 
since the re pandemic rebound, not even the rebound, but just the reopening, the staffing issue has come up constantly. And I, I don't know what's going to solve that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, you mentioned like you mentioned the Amalfi Coast is one of these destinations. And I've heard that about Italy and, and France and uh, things like that. But where where else are people considering going when they can't get that booking for a summer trip and they still want to travel? I mean, are there any destinations now that are sort of gaining more consumer interest because of this lack of availability? Yeah, I mean, our usual suspects are still our tra top travel destinations, Italy, France, UK. But what has kind of been interesting, particularly in the European sphere, uh, we're seeing a lot more Spain, we're seeing a lot more Portugal, um, and definitely Greece is is back in the mix. Um, one of the latecomers to, to the game, and and I think it was because it you know, just took them a little while to open, is definitely Japan. Japan is, is back. Um, I, I know many people are, are frustrated because it's not just hotel availability, but now it's guide availability. And a lot of our top DMC partners, rightfully so, are very concerned about the quality of their product. Um, and also the quality of their response time. So many of them have shut down operations for specific months of the summer where they're like, we, we know all of our top guys are sold out. So rather than go and try to source somebody else that would be not as quality of a product that we're, we're used to, we're, we're just going to say, we're, we're sorry, we're full. We'll, we'll take you know reservations at, at a later time. Um, one of the other areas that is really popular right now that, that we have seen uh, is, is Africa. Africa, Southern Africa, East Africa is definitely back in, in the full mix. Um, and yet there's still this love with the American backyard. It's definitely slowed and cooled quite a bit because it was the only place that was open in 2020, 2021. Um, but that I think that we were so enamored with everywhere else other than, than just domestic that, that now we do feel that, that we can travel domestically and that there's a value to, to be had there. Um, and so that that is getting interwoven with some of these other really exotic bigger ticket trips um, that people are still enjoying, um, whether it's it, the national parks, whether it's Florida, whether it's California, um, Caribbean, Mexico, and and even Canada. Yeah, I've heard the same about Japan and Portugal, too, seem to be, seems to be the destinations coming out of a lot of advisors' mouths. Portugal, too, in particular, seems to, I, I, I imagine even pre-pandemic, it was sort of trending to become one of these staple destinations, and it does seem like it's it's definitely become that that kind of place that Americans are considering traveling to. Yeah, I mean, fabulous food. It's got pretty good lift, um, and an amazing, and amazing resorts, and and um, it's 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 kind of I think in the natural progression of people have gone how they have gone through and and traveled traveled Europe. Um, so I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I mean, what are your are, do you have any expectations of how long this kind of demand is going to last? I mean, you mentioned supply. I imagine that's part of it when when the travel companies can boost supply, whether they will or won't. No, I mean, I, I think. As far as the crystal ball, how long is this going to last? Um, you know, we're going to ride this wave as long as we could. I mean, we were definitely down for the count for a little over two years. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at this point in time, I think, it, you know, if I look at where what we have on the books going into 24, even we have a strong 18 months, possibly a, a 24 before we're able to really kind of reevaluate. And this is all coming despite talks of recession, yeah. um, global upheaval and unrest. Um, the, the, the R word and inflation does not seem to be slowing our consumers down. Um, many of them did very, very well throughout the pandemic, particularly in that in that luxury sector. Um, and, and 
now they're but they they know there's a number of things that are that are pushing us forward and and i think that despite economic headwinds what we have going for us is that people can work from anywhere now um that, that you have the ability to to go ahead and and travel and and still kind of work not not necessarily work from home there's no reason to have that fake zoom background anymore you could have that real zoom background um and and that combined with just the 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 desire to get back out and not have that captivity anymore um is is still really driving people to move forward yeah it is interesting because the that the talk of recession has come up several times in in 2020 early 2022 i remember having conversations with two operators about it too um because at a certain point the financial media made it seem like it wasn't a question of if it was a question of when and that converse that question has changed i think a number of times over the past 15 months or so uh it doesn't no advisor no travel company i speak to are seeing any signs of recession and it's interesting you aren't seeing it either yeah, I mean, there's the idea of slowdown isn't happening. I, I think the one thing that could be X factor um, would be some sort of military action. Uh, if if things continue in in Asia and in China, if uh, things expand in in Europe, um, that could definitely put a, a damper on on things. But as far as consumer confidence, as far as people wanting to really move forward with uh, making large scale purchases. Um, the, the amount of six figure trips that are being booked today uh, just really kind of blows my mind. And, and, you know, I, we're excited. I mean, quite frankly, we deserve it after what we've been through. Yeah. But um, at, at the end of the day, we are not seeing consumer confidence slow down. And the other thing that I would say is, is that um, as geopolitical things shift, so does the, the consumer so that it hasn't put a, a total damper on traveling. It might be a damper just to particular destinations. Yeah. Um, so the six figures trips, I imagine consumer expectations have gone up along with the price point. Um, are they expecting different things from travel advisors now, or are they expecting different kind of service that they're paying this kind of uh, premium to travel? Well, at least from, from, you know, selfishly from our standpoint, we've always been delivering, I think that top yeah, dollar fair, service. Yeah. Um, yeah. but I think that the patients is wearing a little thin on the the argument of, of service at, at hotels. Um, yes, they've had a chance to dig themselves out of some really bad years with very high ADRs. Um, I don't think that we're going to see or they'll be able to sustain the ADR growth that they once had. Um, one of the things that I'm hearing, again, you know, while I said before that, that consumers and, uh, have fallen in love with their backyard, they still have a whole lot of other choices to go to. So they're, they are, are maybe they're still continuing to go, but not with the fervor that they once were previously. And and so if anything, I'm hearing, you know, domestically Caribbean, Mexico of, wait, wait, we don't have the same level of occupancy that we did a couple of years ago. So they won't be able to have the same rate growth. Um, what is a challenge though, is for that consumer to, to be able to get that level of service internationally that, that they're expecting at that price point that they are now paying. Um, there, there are a number of places that have not completely caught up to uh, the rate that they're changing, they're charging. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is going to, you know, there's going to be a, a, an inequity between what people are paying and the, and the value that they're getting. And so those hotels that can really catch up and, you know, make sure that their service is stellar are, are going to be the ones that are going to solidify relationships for life so that clients come back time and time again.
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, a lot of the talk the past month has also been about the, the, the supply being so low for travel, but then we have this, the Chinese consumer eventually coming back to the marketplace is going to add mm -hmm. an incredible amount of travelers. So I really wonder yeah. what the ecosystem is going to look like in maybe six months time. I mean, will we be talking about recession still? Will we be talking about supply and demand still? Will, well, things have changed completely. So I think it's going to be an interesting sort of little ride here for the travel industry going forward. Yeah, very, yeah, very much so. I, I if you find somebody in your talks of that yeah. has that crystal ball, I, yeah. I would love to, to, you know, um, tune into that episode. That's going to be a good one. All right. I'll, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> um, yeah. So Josh, I was, I was lucky enough to, to attend your collective last year and get an introduction to Avenue two through the conversations I've had with you and in your advisors. Um, I know it, you sort of have an interesting story because you're one of the Avenue Two is one of the many family businesses that sort of have blossomed in the travel industry. Um, I was hoping you could tell me a little bit about what you remember when your parents started the business. Um, I have the year down somewhere, but I mean, you obviously know better than I do. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, what was do you remember what the sort of discussion was like? What industry did they come into? Did they come from? Uh, and what are your sort of memories of that time? Right out of college, and and when my my parents were first married, they they traveled a lot. Um, so they they were going to Europe and a number of other places, and so we always kind of joke amongst the family that my my dad had the the, the real job, so to speak, okay. um, and was you know back in the the seventies and eighties was kind of the, the main breadwinner where. My mom was sought out by family and friends because of her travels and her knowledge and, and was, well, Debbie, you know, you know, Paris, can, can, can you help plan our trip? And so she would literally roll maps out on the, the living room floor and start to build and craft itineraries for people. Um, and it was kind of at that time where organically it, it, she evolved into to being a de facto a travel agent um, at, at that point in time and went to work for the, the the local town travel agency serving the the local community because that was the only way that you could get travel back then. Um, fast forward a few years, um, it was mom was so passionate about it um, that she and dad joked about actually buying the agency, uh, and they approached the owner and and he said, "Yeah, sure." So they they bought at that point in time Park Avenue Travel uh, that was located on Park Avenue in downtown Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, right next to Swarthmore College. Okay. Um, and at that time, I think I was maybe, you know, seven or eight. And so child labor laws, I think were a little different back then. Yeah. And um, so I was quickly put to um, work stamping brochures and, and separating, you know, ticket stock with all the, the red carbon on it and all that other types of fun stuff. So I grew up kind of on a roll away. Um, travel, traveling a lot, seeing lots of different amazing hotels and um, travel was a, a value that was instilled in me at a very young age. But I didn't necessarily know that it was going to be my career or what I necessarily wanted to do with my life. So after college, I went off to, to work um, in consumer finance and uh, worked for a large credit company for, for a number of years and kind of figured out my own path in, in the Fortune 500 world, while at the same time, Park Avenue Travel had then joined API, the precursor to Virtuoso, um, and really started to focus on during commission, commission cuts and the rise of the OTA on that high level custom FIT type of book of business. So now it's about African safaris, it's about Machu Picchu in Peru, and um, you know just really intricate things of, of really getting to know the customer and putting together a, a fabulous trip for them. 
Yeah. Um, meanwhile, while I was out on my own, they the trips that, that they were now taking were, were far more elaborate and, and luxurious than I remember growing up. Um, and yet, as I said, there was there was kind of a part of me that was missing because since I had grown up traveling, it was something that was important to me. Um, and now the trips that I were taking were to Corpus Christi, Texas. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's to you know manage an office as opposed to really being there for a leisure destination. Um, and so it was actually staff at Virtuoso that had convinced my dad on the Hiram Bingham train uh, at a Virtuoso chairman's event to, to come and speak to me about joining the business. I'm, I'm, I'm an only child, so they needed to try to figure out what that succession plan looked like. So in May, um, Memorial Day weekend uh, in 2006, I uh, went to my parents' vacation home in uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains just outside of Charlottesville, and they ambushed me with photo albums of some of their most recent safaris and other trips and things and um, had said, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, getting involved with the business? We would love to, to try to work together. So we kind of came up with this amazing plan. Um, Three-day weekend turned into a business planning session with, with with um, flip charts and a whole bunch of other things to try to see, could could we make this business work? But at, at that point in time, you know, I was I was still rather young and naive and in, in my 20s. And again, this was at a time where it's all about Expedia and Travelocity. And, and um, I didn't really under, I, I, I was trying to grasp with where where do I fit into this and and do we really can a travel agency really succeed in this online marketplace? And it wasn't until August of that year um, at the equivalent of, of Virtuoso Week where I'm sharing a table with my mom and general manager after general manager and sales director after sales director comes through and is oh Debbie you know is this the son that I've heard about you know it's so great to see you thank you for sending us this clients and and I got it because. It's about the relationship. And and the other thing that went off in my head was my mom's a rock star. This yeah. is this is real. This yeah. this is actually how this business gets done. And that was the thing that, that I think was just really important and a telltale for me that we could scale this, we could grow this. And it doesn't matter um whether at that point in time it was a website that would be able to take um bookings or we fast forward to today where we're talking about you know chat gbt like we're still going to need that human connection to be able to make sure that that we're pulling off absolutely amazing trips and so that's kind of when the light bulb went off that we could scale this we could make this work um at that point in time we had including myself and my mom there were there were four people in the office um and today we're we're a little shy of 200 yeah so we had had a great trajectory and a great foundation on which to build a fantastic host agency yeah i wanted to ask because again there's so many people who who've helped build or built these incredible family businesses but i mean is there ever an aversion to taking on a business that your uh your 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 parents have built one because it might not seem cool because you've seen your parents do it your whole life growing up. And and two, because it does seem to be, it does seem to add a, a, an amount of pressure, like personal pressure to you when you're taking over this kind of business that you've seen built by, by people who, who've also raised you. Like I imagine there's like two things going on when you're trying to make these kind of decisions, especially because you were successful. You've had, you had a career prior to joining travel. Yeah, very much so. I mean, working in a family business pre presents its own challenges and, and, and hurdles. Um, and I think one of the things that we were very fortunate 
um, for a number of things, actually. The, the, the first and foremost is, is that there were so many amazing family businesses that had come before us in this industry. So um, being able to, to have mentors like Valerie, Jennifer, and Kimberly, um, the, I mean, the Wilsons were, were, you know, fabulous role models. And, and I just remember having almost an open door policy with, with Valerie, where she, she would say, whatever you all need in, in with your three person family to try to move forward in, in this business. Um, we've, we've probably already gone through some of those problems. And so more than happy to, to share that. Um, and, and I've got a great relationship with Jennifer Wilson as, as a result of that, where it, we've, we've got great, great moms who've been very, very successful. And, and yet we also have our own personalities yeah. of things that we want to do and how do we do it? But I, I think one of the things that we also recognized early on is, is that we're all, while we're very passionate about the business, we all want to get to the same destination. We just might have different thoughts and ideas about how to get there. And, and once we kind of just figured out that it's, it's the destination is the same, um, that became things became a little bit easier. And then once we figured out what our strengths were, um, and stayed in our in each other's lanes is when you know conflict wouldn't occur. And and again, it's a lot easier to have conflict with a loved one because you know that they're they're pretty much going to always be there. Yeah. Um, so that friction does occur from time to time. It was something that we were able to 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 surmount and move past. And then the other thing I, I have to you know be able to do is is just give the utmost respect to, to my parents because they were at a they tested me. Um, and, you know, I think that we could have gotten to where we are maybe a little bit faster, but, but, but I had to prove myself. We, we had to, we had to grow. We had to prove the concept and we had to do it, um, in a, in a financially conservative way. And, um, so while I started in 2006, I really didn't become in charge and didn't take the reins until 2012. Um, and, and at, at that point we, we really had defined roles of what we were going to do, how we were going to be able to do it. And, um, you know, they've been fantastic in saying, let's let's double down on this and and, and see where we can take this business. Um, th does that kind of history you share with a lot of people and, and going back, seeing what your parents built, uh, does that give you or, or force you to have to take a higher stake in the industry in general? Like I, I've seen you at As Alleged Day last year. I saw you hosting, uh, filling in to host the, the advocacy in there, too. I mean. Do you feel like you have a stake and you have a responsibility in the industry because of the history you have? I think uh, it's 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 not just how do we preserve a legacy, but when when I say it's in your blood, I mean it's it's literally yeah. in in the blood. Um, and, and so this is again, like I said, travel was a value that was instilled in me at a very young age, and because I've had so many opportunities to to see the world, I see what it does to to change people for the better. And I think that that's the reason why I want to stay in this industry and why I want to promote to, to, to bring on as many independent contractors as possible to, to, you know, have them, you know, speak to individual travelers so that they can see that we're all people all over the world. Um, they become, you know, open to new ideas and new thoughts and become more tolerant and, and better global citizens. Um, and so that was, again, something that was instilled in me from childhood. And so that's the legacy. And that's, I think, the burden, if you would, a good burden um, to be as involved with this industry and make sure that it succeeds and make sure that it continues to grow and thrive. Um, and, and I think that that comes out in the way that we work with with our 
independent contractors and our affiliates and and where we're trying to to take the business and and how we want to just kind of continue to to be good partners and good stewards not just to to the planet but to our our partner suppliers um that we want to be a, a joy to work with and that's that's the best thing that we can do is just add um to elevate our industry to to new heights and new levels uh, and and create trust within the consumer marketplace yeah, and I know uh, last year during your collective, you spoke about uh, that Avenue 2 was well on its way to becoming the first B Corp, B Corp certified travel agency. Um, is there an update? Do you have an update on this? I mean, what's yeah. this? Um, yeah. So everybody in the world wants to be B Corp right now. And so you've got this fantastic organization that that does third-party verification, um, and they've been inundated with applications. Um, so where we thought that this might take a year, we we see that it's going to take a little bit longer. But we're currently in the verification stage, so we're so we're moving along, which is which is great. Okay. Um, but now they're doing all the due diligence, and this is really kind of a lot of the hard work. So of the the questionnaires that we've answered, now they're asking for all of the backup for that. Um, so we're in in that process right now, and so hopefully by the end of the year or maybe early into into next year we'll have gotten through that um but it's still all green lights um and so super excited to, to continue to move forward on on that but they're going through our books they're going through our hr manuals yeah. um to say that this is an audit it's rather it's rather daunting but we know that the reward is going to be worth it on the other side um and and very at the very least you know Dan we haven't had a chance to talk about this but when when we started that whole process, you, you, you get kind of like a benchmark score and you have to have at least 80 in order to, to really submit. Um, and I think we were in the mid 60s, but just going through that effort of seeing what are the things that they're asking for? Are are you paying not just minimum wage, but are you paying a living wage? Um, you know, are are you, how do you, you know, not just greenhouse gases and, and your scope one, two, three and emissions, but you know, what, what are you doing with your computers? How are you recycling them? You know, where do you, do you have any philanthropic activities and, and you know, what percentage of, of profit goes back into the community? So many different things that were very easy check boxes that that maybe we were already doing or we we're on the cusp of doing and so if we just tweaked our behavior just a little bit um that 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 would move us in the right direction and um one of the things that you know impresses me about the sustainability efforts of of virtuoso and what matthew and jessica upchurch keep talking about are how do we make small incremental changes to to you know to, to better ourselves and if everybody kind of took that B Corp assessment and whether they applied or not, but they just changed one or two things because of the awareness that that assessment now brought, we would be in a much better position than, than we are today uh, as, a, as a stronger industry. And so I think that that's one of the biggest takeaways is, is that we can continue to, to make these little small Kaizen type of, of changes and all be you know better because of it. Yeah, it is nice. The last three conversations I've had for this series, it all they've all landed on sustainability, whether or not we uh, we planned it ahead or time or not. Um, but I guess, I mean, what would you say to someone who's playing devil's advocate for these kind of conversations? And uh, obviously, it's it's taken a lot of time to do this. It's probably taken a lot of other resources as well. Um, for the agencies or the groups who maybe haven't considered this, what I mean. And they don't want to have they don't want to invest that kind of time or that kind of those kind of resources. I mean, what would you what would you say to them? Well, I, I love that devil's advocate comment because you know what spurred this whole thing for me 
was, you know, I have the, the chance to sit on a number of different advisory boards and, um, you know, have great presentations from supplier partners about their sustainability initiatives and, and efforts. Um, and usually we would get to that point of, of the meeting and that presentation, and then we would go around the room and say, okay, well, what do you all think? And the comment that I heard time and time again was, well, our clients, that, that's wonderful that you're doing that, but our clients aren't asking for this. So it doesn't, it's not that really that big of a deal for me, but you keep doing yeah. what you're doing and that's, that's, that's good for you. Um, and, and I just, after hearing that so many times, it just kind of scratched my head and I said, wait a minute, this isn't a supplier problem that this has got to be an agency problem as well. And so what are the things that we're going to do in order to, to try to move that ball forward and truly have that, that, that partnership. Um, and so, for, for those that, that don't have, it, it's not about money. Uh, it, 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 I mean, it can be, but it's it's about a mindset of, well, what if I just ask my supplier partners different questions? What if I, when I'm meeting with that GM or that director of sales for a hotel of, um, you know, what are you doing with your food waste each day? You know, what is your hiring strategy? Do you have an, a plan for, for keeping you know, the money and the profit that you have in the local community. Those questions are not being asked in every single presentation right now when, when we have a chance to meet with suppliers. And so sometimes those suppliers don't have an answer. But I would challenge you that that if I ask and and you ask and, you know, three other people ask, not only are they going to have an answer, but they're going to start to take that into consideration when they're doing their plannings and and their efforts. Yeah. So um, again, it kind of goes back to that. It's it's not a nobody can do anything wrong in in this. This is not a shame and a blame thing. This is definitely an awareness thing. And yeah. so the more that we bring that awareness ar around the issues that are there and start to have non political, non judgmental conversations, um, then we'll all start moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And you make it sound simple. I know the the, the that conversation bit's going to be a difficult thing for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I know we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you one more question, uh, just because of where you where you sit in the travel industry and your experience. Uh, we spoke about sort of the crystal ball, but I mean, do you see any other sort of roadblocks for the this continued success the travel trade is having, and anything in the future that people should keep an eye on or should be aware of, or or should be anticipating? Um, I, I've always said that, you know, at, at this level uh, in the industry where we're talking about the, you know, the true professionals that we have out there, um, you know, our biggest competition isn't another travel agency. It might not be a credit card company or even an OTA. It's the fact that, you know, the general public doesn't know that we exist. Like if you, if you watch television today like the travel agents all they went the way of the dinosaur you know we're still kind of the 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 butt of some of the jokes that are out there and so when you, this resonates so much with some of the questions that you previously asked me of, of stewardship of the industry yeah. and and why am i so passionate about it and um you know how do we continue to to raise the professionalism that is critical because the consumer needs to have trust in us uh, and and what I have seen is that when somebody, the majority of business for our team comes as a referral, right? And and that person comes in and and they're going to have a million questions. They're going to question every single thing that 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 our advisor recommends um, until they actually go on that trip and experience it, and then they they realize it was really good. Then they come back a second time. Maybe they have half as many or or you know a quarter of the of the questions previously, 
And then finally, by the third trip, it's, well, Dan, you, you know what I like. Just go ahead and, and book it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we necessarily need that headwind in the industry. And so how do we continue to educate ourselves? How do we continue to, to create that professional development? And so I applaud the top host agencies that are out there that have these onboarding training programs to really train advisors to, to do it right. Um, it's those that that just because they they have access to a booking engine um, maybe do us necessarily a disservice. And so my challenge would be to people who want to get into this industry is to take the time, do it right, you know, really educate yourself because there's so much nuance um, to being able to, to, to do and plan trips effectively and correctly. And the last thing that we want to do is, is, you know, have somebody who has a bad experience and then just kind of tarnishes the reputation of the rest yeah. of, of the industry. And there's so many great resources that are out there between, you know, Facebook groups and chat groups where somebody who's new can very easily plug into somebody who's, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of experience. And that's the thing that I've found about this industry that is no other is the freedom and the willingness to share uh, our expertise and, and to help lift up others are around us. And so that's where I'm excited about our, our industry, where we're going. And there, the, the problem is, how do we, how do we, how do we create legitimacy? Well, it, we just need to look inside and everybody's willing to share to, to lift us up. Yeah. Well, I know we went a little over our time, but it really is always incredibly insightful speaking to you. Uh, and I really, again, I know, I know time is scarce these days, so I really appreciate you giving me the time. Well, I, I love chatting with you. So, yeah. you know, let, let me know. Always available. Um, appreciate your time this morning. All right. Well, I'll hopefully I'll see you in person soon. And uh, until then, I guess just, uh, yeah, take care. And hopefully, hopefully we'll talk soon. We'll do. Thanks, right. Dan. Thanks. Bye.